Good morning, Restoration. Whether you are catching us online by yourself, uh, over a podcast, or you're in a house church at the moment, I just want to welcome you. Um, we are in a series in the book of, well, the letter of Philippians. And I just want to remind us really quickly what this moment is. This moment together this morning is a moment where we worship God through hearing from God. And we hear from God through the, the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And, and so this is a, a we moment, uh, much more than it is a me moment. Um, so the point I'm trying to get to today is that there's something that God is doing in us as a community uh, far and above more what he's doing in me or you as an individual. So I want to keep those pronouns in mind as we jump into this. Last week we finished all the way through verse 2. So we, we're, we're making some serious progress. Um, if you've missed any of the last three weeks, I would encourage you to go back on the podcast and, and try to catch up because there's so much ground that we've uh, gone through. But let me just start in verse 3 of this uh, first chapter in Philippians. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of King Jesus. I got a call from a friend of mine last week, I believe, maybe it was week before. And we're catching up with each other. And he shared with me, he says, you know, Ryan, I pray for you all the time. And usually when someone tells me they pray for me, I kind of go, yeah, sure you do. Only because that's me. I mean, um, I'm not good at remembering to pray for people and to keep that really on top of the high part of my list. But with my friend Paul, it was like, no, I really am. And I, and I could tell he really was praying for me. Like he really does care about me. And so it was like a, a very powerful moment because my, I, I just felt like my friend really cared about me and that he really does pray for me. And, and that's kind of what Paul is doing here with the Philippians. Like you can tell he genuinely cares for them as a community. He really cares for them and who they are. And he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And my question today really is, how can Paul say that? I'm like, how can he say that? Remember, Paul is in prison. And he's in a Roman prison. And we'll talk about that more here in a second, but I mean, how can he really pray with joy? His circumstances aren't very good. And it, he goes on, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel, uh, from the first day, you remember 10 years back was the first day, until now, being confident, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of King Jesus. And it's just that's like a heartwarming, um, just joy-filled, encouraging 
uh, lime for the Philippians to chew on. And remember, they're hearing this letter read out loud in their community as they gather as a, as a house church, much like many of you are gathering right now, um, in a courtyard, open air courtyard, hearing this letter from Paul. A little backstory for some of you who might be new to this. Paul is Jewish, and he's got this huge Jewish background. He was born in Tarsus, which is on the southern end of um, the, what we know as modern-day Turkey. And this city was a pretty important city in the Roman Empire in the sense that it was kind of like the capital of education. There was so much university, academia at the time in Tarsus. I mean, there were philosophers, there were sophists, um, the budding scientific engine in, in thought was happening around Tarsus. And at, at a young age, Paul was super sharp, super smart, and, and this was recognized by his Jewish family. And so they sent him to Jerusalem. Paul, at a young age, went to study under a rabbi named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was actually a grandson of Hillel. Hillel was probably the most famous Jewish rabbi um, of Israel uh, and known to the modern Jews of the time. And so he goes to Jerusalem and he studies under Gamaliel and um, he's educated as a Pharisee. And that's really important for us to understand because Paul was immersed into Jewish thought and he was immersed into the Tanakh. And the Tanakh is in his bloodstream. It is uh, Genesis through Malachi, uh, obviously in a different order, it was arranged differently, but he put all of the Old Testament to memory. I mean, just think about that. It's, look at your Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. He put it all to memory. And so Paul's letters are filled with allusions and, and draw, he draws from the Old Testament in everything he writes, because it is literally in his bloodstream. And so when Paul says things, um, he's, he's not only talking about something small, something um, in the moment, but he's actually, actually also referring to something big, um, part of a larger current that he is used to thinking through. So for instance, Paul on the surface, um, when we read, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, you have to ask, what is he really saying? Because Paul is known to use so much Old Testament metaphor. So on the surface, Paul is saying some really good things. He's saying, God is not done. Uh, God started this work in you and he's not done and there's more to come. And on, on the surface, that in and of itself is super encouraging. And we'll get into all of that. But on a deeper level, on, on a more undercurrent level that Paul is used to in the Old Testament, Paul, fo focus on these three words. Began, good, okay, and completion. Those three words. And if we uh, just kind of jump back really quick into Genesis 1... 
um, I think we're going to see kind of where Paul is going and coming from. The opening line to Genesis is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so for the, the Jewish people, this was um, the penultimate uh, just narrative of the beginning of the world. And that God, you know, breathed life and created out of his love, out of his imagination and creativity, he created. And then it says in verse 10, 12, 18, um, it says, and God saw that it was good. So after every creative act, God saw that it was good. So God, in the beginning, began, and then there was good and good and good and good and good. Verse 31, God saw, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. This is in Genesis. And then right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. So um, the, the word began, the word good, and the word completed. And this is Paul drawing this back up to, uh, uh, to the minds of the Philippians when he writes this letter. He says that he who began, he who created, he who out of his love um, you know, began some good work in you, um, he will carry it on to completion. There will be a day of completion and rest and um, joy in that creative effort. And so Paul is saying that the same creator God that created the universe, that birthed all of this into existence, is now at work in you. And this is the beginning of his letter, and he's at work in me, and he is alive, and he's at work, and he's going to carry it on to completion. Now, Paul sees evidence in the past and in the future. So in the past, remember Acts 16 um, is the first day. So he's referring back to the past, and he sees the fingerprints of God all over their stories. And you remember, it's Lydia, um, this kind of you know, entrepreneurial businesswoman um, who comes to follow Jesus by the river. And then there's this um, slave girl who he, he casts the demon out of. And then there's the, the jailer who wanted to end it all because he was going to be killed anyway. Um, these, are, these are three people. These are three stories of God at work, God's creative, active, loving work inside of these three and really the beginning of the church of Philippi. And so Paul sees the fingerprints of God all over that. Um, and he says, because of your partnership in the gospel, and, and this word is a word that you may be familiar with. It's a Greek word named koinonia. And koinonia is um, poorly translated fellowship. Um, a really good translation is the NIV, this participation in the gospel, this active participation. And where this comes from is kind of like a, uh, an economic semi-legal term that means a business partnership. And so but Paul's basically saying is we're all in this together. We're all, we've all put our money, we've put our, our lives in this together and our hearts, and we're in business together. And the business is the announcement of King Jesus. And so what's interesting is Paul looks back and he sees the fingerprints of their story 
and what their story means. And, and what's interesting is we have a story. This church has a story. You have a story. And we can listen and hear each other's stories and see the fingerprints of God in each of us. Where God met us, whether it was through tragedy or whether it was through um, just the, the, the small, you know, subtle working of the Spirit in us. We've all got a story that uh, we can see the evidence of God working in. And so Paul is saying that, hey, we're in business together. What's interesting is that Paul uh, wouldn't take money from any other church. And if you read kind of his story uh, through the letters and through Acts of all his different um, interactions with these different churches, the Philippians really are the only ones that are, uh, that Paul took, you know, gifts from, that Paul accepted money from, um, because he had this healthy friendship with them, and we don't know all the details there, but, um, and, and if you look at this map, a, a map of the Mediterranean, Philippi to Rome was a big deal uh, to travel, and so Epaphroditus comes with a gift for Paul from the Philippians, and he leaves Philippi. He has to travel 800 miles to Rome, and if he does it by sea, it's super expensive, and it's really dangerous, and if he does it by land, it's 800 miles. That would be like you walking to see your friend in prison in Austin, Texas. That's kind of what just to give you a picture of how far away that is. And so Epaphroditus shows up. Paul is in prison. Um, in a Roman prison at the time, um, you had to take care of your own food and your own clothing. And if you didn't have the money, to, and you couldn't work in prison, um, you weren't stamping license plates and making some uh, money for the commissary, you actually were at the mercy of your family and friends outside of prison who relocated towards prison so that they could take care of you in prison. And so Paul is in prison. We think Timothy must have sent off some letters for help because they had run out of money. Um, and we think Paul really has been in prison for four years. He gets arrested in Jerusalem, and there's a whole series of events um, in Jerusalem. He gets taken to different, um, different governors and different things, and then he's finally moved all the way across the Mediterranean to Rome, and he's in Caesar's prison. He's actually in a, a, the, the, the federal prison, so to speak, and, um, and he feels like everybody's deserted him, and then Epaphroditus shows up, and he shows up with this gift from the church in Philippi. And Epaphroditus shows up and says, I have money. Uh, Paul, let's get you some food. Let's get you some clothes. Let's bring you back to life. And uh, Paul thought, uh, I thought nobody was here for me. I thought nobody was going to care for me. And then you show up, and then he's, he's affectionately saying these things in the letter. You show up. You saved my life. And, and Paul sees the evidence, not only in their story 10 years ago, but he sees the evidence of the creator God at work in and through them towards him. And God does this work. Um, God does work in us so that we do work for people, so that we do work. He does work through us. God does work in us to do work through us. And that is the whole point. That is the whole point of the Old Testament 
and being a people of blessing, um, that we are funnels and not bowls. God doesn't do work in us and then we just keep it for ourselves. Uh, God does work in us and so that we do, uh, he does work through us. And so look at your past. Uh, restoration. I want you to look at your past, it, and this might be a great exercise for you where you can look at your past and see where God did work in you, and because of that, God was able to do work through you. Some of you have done a ton of work around your family of origin and pain in your life, and because of that, you've been able to do work in others because of that. And so many times, um, I will just say this, many times when we're in moments in our lives that feel confusing and frustrating um, and depressing. Um, there's always a way for us, it's always interesting, whenever I have those moments in my life, um, and the further I get along in life, I actually can look back into those moments in my life that were confusing and hard and difficult and frustrating, and I can see the fingerprints of God, the evidence that God was at work in and through that situation, even though in the middle of it was horrible and difficult and painful. And so Paul sees the fingerprints of God working. And he has this past future thing, right? So the past, he can see it. But then he has this future thing that, that Paul is, is thinking about, and it's on his mind. He says, until the day of King Jesus. And remember, that is a loaded phrase. The word day He's referring to that word in the Old Testament, the, the day of the Lord, or um, as the rabbis used to call Yom Yahweh. And Yom Yahweh is, don't think Terminator, don't think Judgment Day is in Terminator, but the day when, when the Lord is going to put, Yahweh is going to put everything back together, reshuffle the deck in the proper order, put the right things back on top, and the wrong things will be gone. This is a heavy an intense um, announcement of good news. It's pretty intense. Uh, there is coming a day, Paul says, Paul believes, a climactic point now on the horizon where Jesus will, the creator God, will break back into um, our human history he will eradicate disease. He will, there will be no more suffering, no more oppression. He will usher in a new kingdom, a new reality. And, and the rule and the reign of God will be, as Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah puts it, the glory of the Lord it will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. It will become a new reality. It will become like the new air we breathe. The day of the Lord. Paul swaps out the Lord for King Jesus. I mean, he swaps out Yahweh for Jesus. And to Paul, Yahweh is Jesus. You know, the flesh and blood Jesus. And so that kingdom, he says, is here and it's now, but it's not all the way here yet. But the evidence is gathering right in front of us. And so Paul has this past and future um, tension that he works off of and and he believes that human history is actually going somewhere that there's like a an arc to human history um, there will be a climactic ending point and there is this evidence that the creator is not done yet 
that there's more that God is going to do, that God is all over the place, not only in your life, but in the lives of each other. And in the midst of all the craziness of life, Paul believes that the creator of the universe is at work and he sees evidence in the past and in the future that that is happening. And because he believes that, you gotta understand this, because Paul believes that, this is how Paul can say, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That's why Paul can say that. And I got to be honest with you, that line gnaws at me. I always pray with joy. Now, let's talk about prayer for a second. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Do we pray because... Um, God shows up and provides things for us when we pray? Do we pray to make contact with God? Uh, do we pray because our prayers somehow move the hand of God to act? Do we pray because we need strength? Do we pray to thank God? Do we pray to worship God? Yeah, I think all those things are partly true. But I also think we pray because God started a good work and it's not done yet. Meaning, there's a gap between what is and what could be. There's a gap between um, what the reality is on the ground and what the future will be one day. And I got to be honest with you, there's a lot of gaps right now. There are a lot of gaps and we could spend a lot of time listing off all the gaps in our world, in our church community, in our lives, in our relationships. There's a gap. I'll just be honest with you. There's a gap between where we are as a community of God, a church, and what we could be. And prayer closes the gap. Prayer pulls the two together. And prayer oftentimes has a work that it has to do in us. Um, but the danger is to think that I should pray more and, and you should feel guilty about not praying enough uh, because you're lazy and bad and we just don't think about prayer. Um, really well. And that's the reality. We don't think about prayer really well. I don't think about prayer really well. One of the lies we think about when we think about prayer is that life, well, the idea that I don't actually believe uh, that prayer can change anything. That life is what it is and it, it, it will be what it will be but that my prayer isn't really going to change anything. And I, I know that's not right. I know mentally uh, what Scripture says, uh, but what is going to happen is just going to happen. And, and you know what? Here's the thing. We get this from Greek philosophy. We do. And Greek philosophy and Greek thought has made its, all of its way through into the Western American psyche. And outside the church, it's called fate. Things are just going to be how they're going to be. Inside the church, it's called the sovereignty of God. 
Now, that's probably going to ruffle some feathers. But I believe God does rule and reign. I think the, the idea of God as sovereign is there. I think that God does rule and reign. And, but the words, sovereignty of God, those actual words, that phrase, doesn't appear once in the New Testament. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means it's a little suspect in the sense that because a lot of people believe this idea of what's going to happen is just going to happen. And I don't, think, I don't think Paul believes that. I genuinely don't think Paul believes that. Paul does not believe that what happens is just going to happen with or without me in my prayer. Paul actually prays a lot. And Paul being a good Jewish, you know, rabbi, scholar, uh, he probably prays three times a day. He probably has a fixed hour prayer in his rhythm of life. And he believes because the creator of the cosmos listens, and when that prayer lines up with what God's redemptive plan for the world is that God actually steps in and responds and makes it happen. I think Paul believes that. And so where there's a gap, okay, a space between what is and what could be, according to how God rules and reigns, um, that's where we need to step in and pray. And maybe for some of you today, it's a relationship. Listen, we've talked a lot about how this moment has been full of anxiety. It's brought cracks. It's shown the cracks in our relationships. Maybe it's someone in your family or your work or your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody inside of this community of followers of Jesus that you are not right with. Maybe there's a fear. Maybe there's a, a need you see in our community or in our world. Maybe there's an injustice. Maybe there's a gap between how it should be and how it is. And that's where we need to pray. That's where we need to realign who God is with our reality. That's where we need to close the gap. And you've heard the phrase maybe around church circles before that prayer is actually standing in the gap. Prayer is this way for us to stand in the middle of what the reality is on the ground and what God's promises are. And we actually, in prayer, help to pull those closer together. Now let's talk about joy as we wrap up. How does Paul get joy in prison? How do we experience joy in our circumstances? in our unemployment, in our sheltering, um, in our kind of quarantined world? How do, we, how do we experience joy in a divorce or in, um, in sickness or in hating our jobs or in poverty or in online school starting again or how do we experience joy when, when your grown kid is far from Jesus? How do we get joy in chains? I mean, here's Paul in prison. He's been in, really in chains for a long time. And Paul uses the word joy 16 times in this letter. 
four chapters, he uses it 16 times. Now, it's like a melody in his letter. It's like a, uh, the chorus and the verse, it, it all just speaks of joy. And we're going to learn over the series that all sorts of things about joy, all different facets of joy. Now, the first one, and we're just going to talk about it really briefly, is, is the word believe. Paul actually talks about trust, this idea of trust that he's trusting that what God created and began, this good work that God created and began in you, he will finish it. He will complete it. That the best is yet to come. And this is a, a hope, this is a trust of Paul's. And you might think, Paul, you crazy. I mean, if you look at this letter to the Philippians, there's a a part in chapter four where there's two women in the church who are at each other's throats. And, and one might think, well, Paul, aren't you worried about this? Is the church going to split? Or is there something going on? And Paul's like, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it because these two women are, are not done yet. They're incomplete. We're all incomplete. And so what Paul's saying is that there's a good work that started in both of them. And once they see that, there will be a completion that, that, that could bring them together. That could bring us together. There's another part in chapter 3 where he talks about a group of people who are kind of getting in and, and kind of retooling the message of Jesus. And people, Paul, aren't you worried about that? He's like, no, I'm not worried about it. Because Paul believes that God started a new work, a good work in them, and that they will make it through this difficult time. Paul's saying, I'm not confident in me or you on our own. He's saying, I'm confident in the creator of the universe who began the good work in you and in me. That he's going to take it to completion. That he's going to finish it all. Paul is the ultimate optimist. And what's really important is to understand the difference between an optimist and an idealist. An idealist believes in the ideal, meaning there's this perfect situation that, and if we don't meet it, um, then we failed. An idealist, I deal with um, uh, premarital couples when they're getting ready to get married, and there's a there's a way that um, we can find out how idealistic they are. And idealism comes from kind of the Disney idea of, of life, of the world, of, of marriage and relationships. And so what's really dangerous is if you don't hit the ideal, just a great deal of depression comes from that. So if you think you're going to have an ideal marriage, an ideal job, um, an ideal church, uh, uh, trouble's coming for, for all those. Um, and so the contrast that with optimism, um, or is what, what I believe Paul really has is um, a clear, honest look at biblical hope. Biblical hope gives us the freedom to be honest about life. I mean, read the Psalms. Read all the pain that you see in the Old Testament, the New Testament. I mean, Paul is pouring out his heart in many of these letters. Uh, it, it's, it's like a reality, but, but it's fixed to, it's tethered to the future. It's to, tethered to what God is doing 
um, in and through us now, but also connected to the future. Paul is an optimist. Paul is fixed with biblical hope because what? Because the tomb is empty. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And because of that, anything is possible. Um, I read uh, a scholar um, named Leslie Newbigin and in, in seminary, and he had this great line. He says, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And I forget so much in my life, I, I forget that Jesus is risen from the dead. I, and I know I'm, I'm a pastor and I say it all the time, but uh, that tells me the story's not over yet. The story's not over yet in my life. The story's not over yet in my relationships. The story's not over yet in the church. The story's not over yet in your life, in our life together. I know how it ends. And it ends well. It, when Jesus breaks back, with Yahweh breaks back into human history, um, and, and, and resurrection happens for all of us, it's this epic conclusion. And every story is, is a good story because we learn this in English 101. Every story is a good story because it has conflict, because it has an antagonist. And our story is no different. And we are up against conflict all the time. You are not at the end of your story. We are a work in progress. Listen, our bodies are a work in progress. Our relationships, our healing, our transformation, our community is a work in progress. We are all incomplete, but completion is coming. And we, take, we, we talk all the time about the, this, this idea of living in the moment, living in the now, and not in the future. Uh, but the problem is, is that we don't live far enough in the future. The day of the Lord. And so eyes on the horizon, right? Like, like in the midst of all this struggle right now, all this division and virus and and frustration in online schooling, and these fractured relationships, and, and, and just all of this, all of this right now, put our eyes on the horizon. God is not done yet. God is still working in you and in me. He's not finished, but one day he will be. So church, get your eyes up. Resurrection um, is waiting for you as a follower of the king. And, and that has the promise to fill you with joy. And so where does this land for you today? I'm gonna pray, and then you get a chance to talk through some things together as a house church. Father, thank you for these words from Paul, this encouraging letter to the people in Philippi. So many years ago, and you've been encouraging them to be a colony of the king. Uh, a colony that actually um, heavenizes the world around them. But God, you want to do a work, continue to do a work in us because you have so much to do through us. So God, today, wherever that hit us, maybe that hit us with prayer, standing in the gap between what is um, the reality and what is um, the ideal, like what, what you want to pull together, your plan for us. Uh, that we can stand in the gap for that. 
in God. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's um, a structure or institution that's broken in our lives. God, will you help us to, to find the time to make this a reality? We could pull together these realities. But God, joy. That God, we have joy not because of our circumstances, but we have joy because we've seen you at work. We've seen you at work in our story. We've seen you at work in the stories of people around us that you began something good and that you will carry it on to completion. And we have joy because of that, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of frustration and discouragement. So God, be with us as a community as we love each other and pray for each other and encourage each other. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.